I want to tell you guys a, a little story. I remember it was 19 years ago. It could be this week. I, I'm not really specific on dates. I was just reminded this week uh, that it was, it was 19 years ago. Wait, tw- sorry, 20 years ago, November 2nd was the day I asked Christine to marry me. And so, um, but I do, I don't remember the day I asked her, but I do remember the day we did it. You know, it was like August 10th. That was 19 years ago. And uh, it was shortly after we got married, and I was uh, my last class at uh, University of South Carolina in Spartanburg, and I had one class left, senior seminar, and then I was going to graduate with my history degree, and I was, I was pretty excited about the track I was on. I was going to try to transfer into the master's program at University of South Carolina in Columbia, and then either pursue a PhD there or somewhere else in history. And I was either going to be, you know, that weird college professor who, who wears Birkenstock sandals with Navy socks. You know that guy, right? Son? Yeah. And then and maybe like the, the sport jacket with the leather pouch, the patch right here. I was going to be that guy. I was so excited about being that guy. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to be, look, I was going to be the coolest person in my house, but I was going to be the weirdest professor just for fun, you know? And uh, that's, that's where I was headed. And if that didn't work out, I had a backup plan. I was going to, I was going to, through my history degree, I was going to get a job at one of our uh, historic sites in the United States. And I was going to be the boring guy. You know, you ask the question, could you tell me about this? Yes, I can tell you about this. And I was just going to go into my like big, long uh, thesis of, you know, this artifact or this picture or this battlefield that we are now standing on. You know, one, I was going to be that guy. One of those two things, and it was about 19 years ago. This month, I I think it was September, it might have been October, that Christine came home and I said, I got to tell you something. She was doing her student teaching, and so that's where you get to pay somebody else to go work for somebody else. And so she had her her six weeks in a third grade class, and then she had six weeks in a kindergarten class. And one of those days she came home, and I've got to tell you something. God's, God's like calling me into ministry. He's like asking me to not go be a history professor or a park ranger. The two things that I told you I was going to be when we got married like six or eight weeks ago. And so um, she'd been a believer for, for about two years. And um, all she knew of church was uh, we went to this really, really big one. And there wasn't much community. And when we went and looked around at other churches trying to find community, because we weren't born into the family of the people of that church, they wouldn't allow us any community. Their relational bank was all full. And so they had nothing left to offer us. So we ended up going back to the big church and not really finding much community. So church was this thing really distant to her. She didn't understand all the ins and outs. And I was the son of a pastor. I, I, I knew the ugly and the beautiful side of ministry, and uh, just from seeing it and watching it in my dad's life. And so, um, of course, as a, a, a newlywed, I didn't think it was important to tell her about all these things, but so she got to learn along the way. And um, I, I remember the night that I, before I told her and I finally said, okay, to God, there was a song that kept playing in my head. And you know how songs are. I mean, it could just be one line, or it could be the whole verse, or it could be this chorus. And this song just played over and over and over in my head. 
and it's a question. And I kept asking God, I was like, God, you really want me to do this? Because what if? And I kept asking this question over and over. And when I finally surrendered to God, I just, I did it by saying, okay, God, I'm going to do this, but I'm probably going to mess up. The question I kept asking God is, what if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I lose my step and I make fools of us all? Because now it's not just me, but I got a wife. What if, what if I mess this up and I, I just ruin everything? What if I mess up your name to the people that I'm a minister to? It really weighed heavy on me, and I kept asking God over and over. And I can't tell you that God said, here's the answer to your, all your problems. He just kept saying, yeah, but I want you. Yeah, but I want you. And I have to tell you, for the first 10 years of my ministry, I was really scared of what I was going to do because I knew I was going to do something. I just knew it. And as I studied this passage this week, it just like dawned on me. The more and more that I look down on Moses, and we're going to look at three big sins that Moses exposes from his heart from Exodus 5 through 7, the more I kept looking at his sin, and from a moralistic perspective, it was like, Moses, why do you keep doing it? Why do you keep asking God? What, Moses, what is wrong with you? Do you not know what's about to happen? The answer is he did not fully know what was about to happen. But just like me, he was like, well, God, I know you're like the creator and everything, but I think you might have made a mistake asking me to do this. I don't know about you, but I, I think across this room, I know God hasn't called everyone in this room to go be a minister full-time with their life. But I do know that God has called every single one of us to fulfill the Great Commission. He's called every believer. If you know Jesus and you're in this room, he has called you. And he has a ministry for you. He has something he wants you to do. And it doesn't just start in the future. It's like today. It's like when you see your neighbors this afternoon. Or when you see your coworkers tomorrow at work. When you see your family and you're riding home from this building God has asked you, believer, to make disciples. He's commanded all believers to go and make disciples. And so as, as I, I look at Moses and I look back on my own life and I see this big, big question mark in my mind, I wonder how many of us have had the, kind of the same question. Like, God, do you really want me? God, can you really use me? God, I, I thought it was going to be easier than this. So let's open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 5, and I want us to read this first section. And uh, we're not going to read the whole chunk at once. We'll just start with chapter 5, verse 10. And last week, uh, Dave finished up the story um, because Moses had asked for them to have this opportunity to go out. You know, Pharaoh's response is, okay, well, I guess you guys are dreaming up these schemes because you have so much time on your hands. So I'm going to take away that time, and I want you guys to make the same quota of bricks, but we're not going to provide the straw anymore. 
So as we begin here in verse 10, there's, there's kind of two groups of people. There's the taskmasters, which are like the slave drivers, the Egyptians. And then there's the foremen, who are the leaders of the work sites of the Israelites. So the foremen are Israelites, but they're kind of in charge of a group of slaves. And so the taskmasters, verse 10, and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work. Your daily task each day is when there was straw, and the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your tasks making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? So they gave them a day, and then the next day goes by, and they still hadn't made their quota, and they beat the foreman. So then the foreman of the people of Israel, what do they do? Did they go straight to God and say, God, would you please provide? Well, they went to a God, but it's a little G God. So they came and cried to Pharaoh, verse 15. Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work, no straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall no, by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. So they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? So that's where we're going to stop for right now and talk about this a little bit. The first sin of Moses from his heart is he's seeking the approval of men. What this question reveals is that Moses is more interested in these foremen, these other Israelites liking him than he is in the task that God has at hand. Moses is saying, why did you even send me? The fact is obeying God or following after God does not mean you're going to be the most loved person. The longer I've been around, the more people I've interacted with, the more I realize that this is such a critical issue. A Christian or non-Christian, you know, south or north, east or west, no matter where you live. And the issue is this. The Bible calls this fear of man versus the fear of God. A fear of man means I'm really afraid of what you guys are going to think about me, so I'm going to act this way. I'm really afraid of what you guys are going to say about me, so I'm going to dress this way. I'm really afraid of what you guys are going to do, so I won't say what I really, what's really in my heart. You ever been in the, in the car and a song comes on the radio, and it's like you like that song, but you're with a group of friends, and then the, the guy who talks first and thinks later, he's like, dude, that song is terrible. And you're like, at first you're like, I don't agree with him, but then you're like, then the next guy says, yeah, man, that's terrible. Change the station. You know, and, and that's just a simple, silly example, but it sticks. Because you're like, now some of you could care less. You're like, no, I like that song. And generally that's because you have no fear of the men that are in the car with you. 
But sometimes you go to work and your boss is saying, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And in your heart, you're saying, whoa, 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 that's not ethical or that's not legal. And the question is, are you afraid of that man? Afraid of that woman? Our teenagers get it through peer pressure, but peer pressure doesn't even end when you graduate from high school, does it? Because then it's like, do I have the right name on the side of the truck that's parked outside of my house? I mean, there's, there's, peer pressure goes across the board. When I start making decisions on what I'm going to buy, what I'm going to do, where I'm going to live, how I'm going to act, based on what other people are going to think, I have some fear of man issues. One common reason why we sin is that we crave the approval of people or we fear the rejection I mean, we want friends so bad that we'll do whatever we need to for them to like us. We feel like we need the acceptance of others, so we're controlled by them. The Bible calls this fear of man. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, it says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So the answer to the fear of man is just that, fear of God. The answer to the fear of man is fear of God. The fear of God is to respect, worship, trust, and submit to him. It's the proper response to his glory, his holiness, his power, his love, goodness, and wrath. The fact of the matter is that God is so glorious that we don't have to fear other people. We don't have to fear man. It really doesn't matter. You you know, let let me say it this way. It really doesn't matter if you guys like my sermon or not. I'm more scared of God than I am of you liking my sermon, right? It really doesn't matter if you like the car I drive. I'm more, I'm more afraid of God than I am of you liking the car I drive. It's a freeing thing when I don't really fear what you think of me. It allows such liberty in my life. Not liberty for me to go be stupid, but liberty for me to focus on what's really important, and that is... God himself. Now, here's what's cool about the fear of God. It can be taught and learned. It's not like you just flip a switch, but the way it's taught and learned is honestly by seeking God and learning more about who he is. If you're you're taking notes, I didn't put this on the screen. Here's some scripture verses for you to go read this afternoon. I'm not even going to read any of these. If you want to learn how to fear God, look up Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 and 19. That's chapter 17, verses 18 and 19. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 12. And here's a couple from the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalm 34, verses 9 through 11. Psalm 34, 9 through 11, Psalm 18, the the whole psalm. The more I look at God and get a clear picture of who God is and his glory and his majesty, the less I'm concerned with men and their lack of glory and their lack of majesty. It really doesn't concern me anymore what they think. And here's Moses. He's been hanging out with God and talking to God face to face or bush to man, whatever you want to call it. And he says, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? He is so upset that the foremen have walked out and said, the Lord look on you and judge you. That comment from the foremen who have just met with the Pharaoh just rips him to the heart. He wanted them to come out and say, 
Moses, I know you're doing right, and we're all behind you, but he hasn't lessened our burden. I mean, that's what he wants them to hear. He wants everything to, he just wants to be the most loved guy of all the Israelites. And he's finding out when you follow God, it doesn't mean you're the most loved person. One last thing, the fear of God is liberating. And I said this a little bit before, but we often take people's expectations seriously because we want to love them as God commanded, but we are not enslaved by them. We don't serve people for what they can give us in return. So I'm not trying to preach a sermon so I can get your approval, your affection, your security, or whatever. By submitting to Christ and his lordship, I'm free to serve you and say, here's the text, here's what God taught me, and I'm going to teach it to you. And whether you like it or not, here it is. And when we leave the room, we can go be real with one another because I don't have to impress you so you, you think a lot of me. I can say, here's some real issues I'm go- going on in my life. Here's some things that God's taught me. Maybe God, God could use that to help you. We can be real with one another when we fear the Lord and not fear man. The next sin is uh, in found just the next verse, chapter 5, verse 23. And it's the sin of seeking the path of least resistance. They're seeking the easy way. Look at verse uh, 23. It says, For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. I got a question for you. When things aren't coming together in your life, do you ever question God? Do you ever question if God's saying, hey, duh, I don't want you to do this, or I do want you to do this? So often, often I hear Christians, they tell me, well, this doesn't really feel right, so I stopped doing it. Or, or you know, they're in some sort of sin, and, and I, I say, how's that going? Well, it just felt right, so I think that's what God wanted me to do. And it's all about this feeling thing. And Dave Anglin's always said, he said, listen, don't listen to your feeler, because your feeler's broke. We're born in sin, so our feeler's off a little bit. And our feeler is part of the natural man that's like, I like this, I don't like this, so I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do this. Our feeler cannot be trusted. i got to tell you guys about this guy. I'm going to change his name. Uh, I, um, I, don't think there's, I don't think anybody in this room knows who I'm talking about. This is from a long time ago. I mean, a long time ago, like three years ago. But anyway, a long time ago. This guy, I was calling Bill. Bill walks in with his family to Cross Life Church uh, in the movie theater. And, uh, you know, and, and we used to call it the gauntlet. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you guys all know that, but if you ever visited Cross Life, it has this a real to real theater. It's this thin lobby. It's really wide, but it's thin. And, and you kind of had to, we call it run the gauntlet. You had to go by 20 people just to get into the wor- where we were worshiping in theater one. And so Bill and his wife come in, and uh, I'm like, how's it going? And good, and uh, you know, just real nice people. And we welcome them in. And they came, and they came back the next week. And I, I remember at the end of the second week, uh, talking with them and talking about life groups. And uh, like, man, yeah, we want to be in that. This, this place just feels right. God wants us here. I mean, and I, I, I kid you not, that was his statement to me. Now. I, I'm glad that it feels right for him, but, and I didn't have the relationship with him at the time to say, I don't really care if it feels right to you. 
It really doesn't matter if it feels right because as soon as it feels right, let's give it a few weeks and it might not feel right. So was God wrong five weeks ago when it felt right? Or is God wrong now five weeks later when it doesn't feel right? And for him, his whole life is whatever feels right. That's what he's going to do. And sure enough, I don't know, six weeks later, it just doesn't feel right. And we're like, okay, what do you mean? Ah, it just, ah, it just doesn't feel right. And uh, honestly, the relationship had not gotten that deep to where he could challenge him, and we really didn't want to try to talk somebody into coming. We never try to talk people into coming to cross life. You either want to join the mission or you don't. Here's the mission. Let's go do it. And so, but we really wanted to say, you know, wasn't it just a few weeks ago when it felt right? And now you're telling us it doesn't feel right. So which one was God and which one's you? See, here's what's tricky about the feeler. The feeler is the same channel that the Holy Spirit comes down. It's the same channel that the voice of the world comes down. It's the same channel that your selfish desires comes down. The question is to compare what's coming in on the feeler channel with what the Word of God is saying. Because the Word of God says something, and it means something. And for, for Bill, it was like, yeah, it feels right. We're all in. And about three or four weeks later, yeah, it just doesn't feel right. You guys are great. I still see Bill from time to time around town. And a really nice guy. He doesn't have a negative thing to say about Cross Life Church. Just doesn't feel right to him. So that's why he's not here today. He hadn't been here in about two and a half years. Because he just doesn't feel right. And I'm not mad at Bill. I just want to say, Bill, what does God want you to do with your life? What does God want you to do with your life? I mean, I know one thing. He wants you to go make disciples. He's told us all to do that. Go make disciples. Are you doing that, Bill? Cool. If you found a church, he still hasn't found a church home. He just can't, it just nowhere feels right. And I feel so bad for Bill because his life is run on his feeler. And his feeler, like all of ours, is broken. What Bill's talking about really is is an emotionalism and honestly a new age philosophy to life. I mean, you know, what what did Yoda say? Where you at, Al? Trust your feelings, right? Trust your feelings. You know, what does Disney say? Hey, follow your heart. Follow your heart, right? This is, the, this is what the world, this is what New Ageism tells us to do. Follow your heart. You know, trust your feelings. Seek your feelings. You know, somewhere in there you'll find the truth. No. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah, the heart is wicked and deceitful. Who can know it? You can't even trust your own heart. It will lead you astray. Why? Because our heart's broken. Our feeler's off a little bit. You know, you could, we can go right now, and I can take you where some drug dealers are, and we can meet some guys buying drugs, and we say, hey, does it feel good? Yeah, it feels good. So should we all go do drugs? No. I, I, can, I, can, I can introduce you to some people who are experiencing sexual intimacy with people who are not their spouse, and it feels good. But is it good? No. 
I can introduce you to somebody who said, hey, I'm going to live with this person, but we're going to get married, but I'm going to live with them, make sure it's working, you know, everything's, everything's working out right. And this person today will tell you, that was one of the dumbest things I ever did. I really didn't have to live with this person to find out if I could live with this person. I just needed to follow God. God already has a better way. We don't have to trust our feeler and what feels good. Let me give you a quote from uh, one of my favorite books. Uh, Paul Miller wrote this book called A Praying Life, Connecting with God in a Distracting World. And here's this quote. Is up there. One more, one more slide. It says, When people call their own thoughts or feelings God's voice, it puts them in control of God, and it ultimately undermines God's word by elevating human intuition to the status of divine revelation. Unless Scripture guards and directs our intuitions, we can easily run amok and baptize our selfish desires with religious language. We can say, well, God told me to marry her. We can say, well, God told me to divorce her. Well, God told me this. Well, God told me that. Well, God told me this. Well, God told me that. And every time somebody says, well, God told me, I want to say, okay, does that line up with Scripture? Because God's not going to tell you anything in your feeler channel that's different or contradicts his word that he gave us a long, long time ago. The third sin of Moses... Let's look at uh, chapter 6. And, and as is common with many, uh, many things that were written uh, back in this time, and, and believe it or not, they found other things written in this time frame. Uh, Moses, the writer, he, he, he throws a beautiful genealogy right in the middle, and it, it feels like it just disrupts the thought in, in our modern ears and hearing this. We'd rather just get the genealogy over with and then now tell me the story. But the way Moses is... is uh, laying this out, he's telling the story, and then he wants to make sure everybody knows exactly who Moses and Aaron are, where they came from, and these are the guys at 80 and 83 years old are going before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So look at chapter 6, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will declare you, deliver you from the slavery of them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And what does Moses respond? Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit 
and harsh slavery. So the Lord says to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And we go into this uh, genealogy. These are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, firstborn of Israel. He got his sons there. Then next chapter, or verse 15, the sons of Simeon, the nextborn of Israel, and his sons. And then third, these are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generation. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, well, he's got his sons. And then verse 18, the sons of Kohath. His firstborn is Amram. And then we jump down to verse 19. There's some more sons. And then verse 20, we'll get back on Amram. Amram took his wife, Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Ishar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Zithri. And then verse 23, Aaron took as his wife Elishabeth, the daughter of Aminadab. I know these fun names. And the sister of Nashon. And she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And this is really important for Moses' readers and those following behind him because these guys are really important as they go into the wilderness time and after. The sons of Korah are also listed here, and this is important too for uh, the rebellion that's going to come later. Uh, Aser, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, uh, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phineas. And, and he's the star of a, of a cartoon. I'm just kidding. Um, it's different spelling. Just kidding. Uh, these are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. These are Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, All that I say to you, but Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? So the third sin of Moses that that I I see reflected in me, I see reflected in my friends, I see reflected in all of us. I just see these things. There's the fear of man issue, which is so big, so big. If we can get past the fear of man and just go for the fear of God, and then the second one is this emotionalism, this feeler thing. Oh, that feels right. It doesn't feel right. It's like, well, what does God say? Not to your feeler, but what is God saying in his word that confirms whether or not he's really speaking to you or whether it's the world, the flesh, or the devil. But the third sin is the sin of self, of pride, of impatience. Honestly, another way to say this is, is like Moses thinks he's the self-sovereign. He's like, hey, you know, God, I know you got this plan, and I'm doing all this stuff, but you know, if you would just put me in charge, this thing would happen a whole lot easier. 
Look back at, at verse 9 and then 12 and then, and then 30. These three times Moses says, but they did not listen to Moses. He's talking about the people of Israel. And then in verse 12, but the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then is Pharaoh going to listen to me? And then in verse 30, he's throwing it down again. Really, God, how's Pharaoh going to listen to me? I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. Who am I to go to Pharaoh? And it's very similar to my question 19 years ago. I mean, God, what if I stumble? What if I, what if I lose my step and I make fools of us all? I mean, are you still going to love me? Are you still going to work in me and through? I, am I even going to be valuable to you? Can I be useful to you? I mean, I just want to wear Birkenstocks and Navy socks. I just want to be the nerdy guy professor. That's what I want to be. I want to just disappear in the ivory tower. That's where I want to go. I don't want to see people. I just want to, you know, if I'm a park ranger, I'll do trail maintenance. I just want to go out on the mountains. I don't want to see people. You know, I just want to be away from everything. And God's like, yeah, you're the guy. Yep. And he's looking at you guys. And you know what he's saying? He's like, yeah, you're the guy. You're the girl. I want you to go make disciples. You know, the same thing that I'm doing in you, I want you to tell your friends about it so they can get hope for the sin in their life. Just like you get hope for the sin and the mistakes in your life. The third sin, sin of self. Following God doesn't mean everything's going to happen in our timing. I know there's probably nobody out here, but you know what I'm talking about, the control freaks. There's no control freaks in the room right now. But here's, here's the deal. When I think I'm in control or I think that I can control the outcome, it means that I'm acting as self-sovereign in my life. I'm acting as the God, little g God of my life. Now, you may say, we may say on Sunday, God is sovereign. I trust in you, Lord. But functionally, day by day, we're living like we can control the outcome. Oh yeah, God is sovereign over all things. I trust in God. And then Monday comes and we're like, okay, I got to figure this out. I got to do this. I got to do this. Now, the worst part about being self-sovereign is when you begin to realize that you can't. And that's when you find worry and anxiety, panic attacks, and fear. And a whole host of other things. That's just the beginning. At first, we're like, yeah, I got this. I can control this. We're working all the outcomes. We're working every angle. We're working all the people. We're making this thing happen. And then suddenly, you start to realize, it's out of my control. I can't do this. In fact, I really can't do this. And then this fear comes. This anxiety comes. And then it grows because we... And the worst thing we can do is try to stay in control. The more you try to stay in control, the more you feel out of control. And it goes worse and worse and worse. Moses is sitting here thinking, God, I did what you said, but nothing good has come of it. I've done this and I've done this, but it's not working out. Even my own people won't listen to me. So how is Pharaoh going to listen to me? How often are things misaligned in our own lives and we find ourselves asking similar questions? We're like, God, what, what is going on? I mean, I did this and you told me this and I did, I, why is it not lining up? And the big question is, what is the answer? 
What is the answer? That's where we want to get to our conclusion today. And I want to uh, just point to you guys to some gospel truths that have been revolutionary for me, for people I've ministered to, people in my family, neighbors. And the answer, I mean, simply put, you can say, well, less control. But really, it's when you trust the God of control. When you trust God and His control. When you remember who God is. So two things, let me put them up there. Remember who God is, is the first thing. And and here's some more scriptures for you guys writing and taking notes. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, beautiful. Proverbs 21, verse 1. Proverbs 21, verse 1. And Mark chapter 4, and get this, it's like almost a whole chapter. I wish I could just read it to you guys. I wish I could just dive into it. But Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through chapter 5, verse 43. That's a lot of same numbers. 43... I'm sorry, 4, verse 35, through chapter 5, verse 43. And in that little section, it's beautiful what God, God does in, through Jesus. Um, but he shows that he's in charge of the wind and the waves, life and death. He brings, I mean, he brings people back to life. He calms the wind and the waves. He does everything. That, in that little section, what uh, Peter, Mark, um, teach us in, in that chapter, in, basically chapter 4, four through five of Mark is that God is in control of everything. And the more we recognize that and functionally live like it, not just say it with our mouths, but believe it when we walk out the doors, the more God starts to answer all these little questions and all these little concerns and all these things are out of control. Guess what? He's in control and he is trustworthy and he proves it through these stories in Mark. The biggest thing I've found is I have to release control of my life and I have to give total, total control to God. And guess what? Here's the cool thing. You're like, yeah, yeah, I did that. But see, just like we, today, we, our, our core value is gospel-centered. The gospel is not just the way you enter into a relationship with Jesus, but it's the way you live day by day. And see, for, for many of us today, we got to remember that God is in control and, and not just say it and give lip service to it or say, yeah, yeah, God, you're in control, but say, you know what, God, in this little area of my life, I've been trying to take control. I've been trying to figure things out. I'm doing a terrible job and I need you and I'm giving you control. And honestly, gospel change in our lives, it's daily change. Because I can say that to God right now, and three hours from now, I can say, oh, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. And I start to take back control of my life. And I got to say, whoa, God, I gave you control three hours ago, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you again. I'm, I'm going to do what I need to do, but I know that at the end of the day, you're in control. And then tomorrow when we wake up, we got to give God control again. God, you know, I'm working this job, making this much money, and I, we're trying to make the ends meet. Well, I don't know how it's going to work, but I know you're in control, and I'm just going to be faithful to you. Faithful to what you've called me to do. Faithful to what you've asked me to do. As we wrap this up, I just want us to look at some gospel truths from, from Psalm chapter 62. 
So if you've got your Bibles, flip over to Psalm chapter 62. I'm just going to look at these first eight verses. I'm not going to preach another sermon here. I just want you to hear gospel truth. And one of my favorite songwriters has written a song about this, and we're probably about three or four weeks away from singing this psalm. I'll, pro- I'll tell you guys more about it on the day that we sing it, but look at Psalm 62. To the choir master, according to Jejuthun, a psalm of David. It says, For God alone, my soul waits in silence. You just let that sink in. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. So control freaks, you're not the answer. Talking about it's not the answer. Asking 20 people is not the answer. Can you just wait in silence for God alone? Look at the next sentence. For from Him comes my salvation. It's not from my to-do list. It's not from working harder. It's not from gaining the approval of men. It's not from getting enough people. I got to scratch them back so they'll scratch mine, and then it's all going to work out. No. For, from, from God comes my salvation. In verse 2, He alone is my rock. He is that thing that I lean on, that I hold on to when everything else is washing away. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. So David's taken a little pause from talking about God and his salvation, and he he starts talking about the people who are his attackers and the people who are our attackers. Sometimes we are the attacker. We attack ourselves. We batter ourselves. We listen to those who would try to tear us down like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. Look at verse 5. Just in case you forgot what verse 1 and 2 said, Look what verse 5 says. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from God. It's from Him. He says it again. He he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. And so here's the resolution, verse 7 and 8. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. God is a refuge for us. Moses, the answer to every one of your questions is that God is a refuge. For you guys, this room, the answer for every one of our questions, every one of our concerns, every one of our sins, everything we struggle with is God is a refuge. 
As we wrap it up, I just want to read these verses to you from Exodus chapter 6. When Moses first asked those questions at the end of chapter 5, God doesn't say, hey, uh, do this, do this, do this. He says, I am the Lord. Why? Because God alone is our salvation. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. That's one of his names. But my name, the Lord, that's a different name, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them. So he's saying, hey, Moses, guess what? I appeared to these guys, and I alone and, and, and him. But I've made myself known to you in a, in a new way. Going back to the last, last week or two weeks ago, I am that I am. You tell him I am came. And my translation is I be. I be. I always be, and I always will be. I always have me, and I am. I be. I am that I am is here. And I am is coming to you, Pharaoh, saying, let my people go. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people. So say, therefore, to the people, verse 6 of chapter 6, I am the Lord. He doesn't say, hey, God's got this. He says, just say, I am the Lord. And I'm going to do this. What I say I'm going to do, I'm going to do. And I don't always do it the way you want. And guess what, cross life? God doesn't always do what you want when you want it and how you want it done. But guess what? God is a refuge. God alone is your salvation. God is a rock and God is a fortress. And hey, he's never going to be shaken. So run to him and just wait. Just wait in silence. In fact, maybe you shouldn't do what Moses did and tell him all, everything God did wrong. Maybe you should just wait. Just wait on God and let God come through. Here we are 19 years uh, later, and, uh, and you know what? Question I ask God, what if I stumble? <laughs> I have stumbled so many times. You would not believe. I have. I've, I've messed up so many times. Said the wrong thing to this person. I did the wrong thing. I've messed up so I've made so many mistakes. I shouldn't be standing here right now. But you know why I stand here right now? Because God alone is my salvation. God alone is my rock. I stand before you not as the perfect person. I'm a messed up person. But I'm in a process with God, and I'm letting God continually change me. So I stand here with hope for any of you who say, God, why are you messing my life up? Why is things not working out the way they should? So we're going we're gonna to wrap things up here. I'm going to pray, and, and Jim and Marsha are going to come up here and lead us in a song. It's a beautiful song of surrender. You may want to just sit there and sing it. You may want to close your eyes and pray and just have a little talk with God right now. You know, one of our goals is that we would commune with God every time we meet. And that doesn't mean, just mean him talking to us, but him hearing from us. And we need to talk some things out. And so I want you to take this time, if you want to, to pray. You want to come forward? You can come forward. You want to sit at your seat? Sit at your seat. If you want to talk to me, I'll be standing at the back. But this is our time to say, God, based on the things that you've shown me today, here's my response. And I hope your response will be like mine, as bad as it was 19 years ago. Okay, God, I surrender. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee.
Here I am.